Hi, welcome to a special podcast post on Anime Audiolog. I'm joined by a special guest today, and we're going to go through the four biggest mecha shows that happened in 2012. My special guest today is Ray. Ray, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ray from Ideas Without End. You may or may not have read it. I am an, I, I'm an anime blogger, but also write about games, books, music, whatever I really feel like. I'm particularly interested in mecha, but more on the sci-fi side of it as much as anything else. So, um... If you're interested in finding out more of what I'm all about, Ideas Without End is the blog. Yeah, so like Ray said, I, I met him first at uh, We Remember Love. He was a, a frequent commenter on a lot of Ghost Lightning's posts, and so I have come to respect him as well as a lot of the other commenters there, their opinion on mecha shows and their views. So I hooked up with Ray, and we're gonna today we're going to talk about Gundam Age, Aquarion Evil, Eureka AO, and Muv Love. And we're going to kind of go through those, you know, give some strengths and weaknesses and do some comparison at the end. So Ray, Gundam Age, the longest-running mecha show this uh, this year. It went 48 episodes? I believe so, yes. Sounds about yeah. 48, 49. Most of the year ended up in October. What do you think of it? It was it was a bit different for Gundam. It was, it was interesting. I was, at first, much less pessimistic than a lot of people because I saw the art style and I thought, that's like Gear Fighter Dendo, which was actually a surprisingly good series. And then I started watching Gundam Age, and it was quite a bit like Gear Fighter Dendo at first. It was a very kind of kids-having-adventures kind of show. And then it wasn't for a bit, and it really lost its way by the end, which was a shame, because I think it was at its best when it was least like a Gundam series, and most like a Saturday morning super robot, kids-having-adventures kind of show. Yeah, I guess for me, I'm not a huge Gundam fan. I've watched a few series here and there. I watched Gundam Wing when it was on Toonami. I saw... Oh, another Gundam series that was on. I apologize, I don't know all their names. That was on. No, it's cool. um, yeah, it, it was on uh, Hulu at one point. So I watched the first twelve or th- twelve episodes of it, enjoyed it. But I thought this was a nice for me as a as a non Gundam fan per se, a nice deviation from the standard formula. Yeah, I think what I what I didn't like about it really was that it didn't run far enough with its deviation from the formula. I mean, you look at my favorite Gundam show is Turn A Gundam, which is very very different from the norm, despite having a lot of ties back to it. And I thought Age had some really nice ideas, and in some ways it was kind of sticking two fingers up at the uh, franchise it's a part of. And then at the end, it all just sort of rounded back to the most kind of fanboy and fangirl popular entries in the franchise, and just started copying them a bit. And that was where it fell down. Yeah, so for those who haven't watched it completely through, Gundam Age went through three major sections with sub-arcs and sub-stories in each of those. So the the Age refers to not only the, the Gundam, but the three generations involved with the Gundam uh, mecha in general. So you have, you have it ends up being grandfather, son, and grandson that all come together and each drive their own individual mecha with their own ideals and their own way, ways of uh, solving the issues at hand. That was a nice idea, I thought. They, they could do some really interesting things with that. I mean, there aren't many series that, I can, that immediately spring to mind that have the kind of strict generational thing. I mean, other, when the third arc started, when you had a Grandfather's Gundam as the first episode, it was immediately kind of, this is like Mazinga Z, where Kuchi Kabuto gets his mecha from his crazy old grandfather. They joint pilot a super robot for a bit, then Grandpa dies, which spurs them on to fight the villains and all that. And then... Age was starting off like that. You had wacky combination sequences done by Masami Abari, the super robot kind of legend of animation. And then it kind of all just whiffled out a bit into pacifism, space lasers, and everybody having naked space moments, uh, which a lot of Gundam shows end up with. Yeah, I felt that by the third age, it just 
grandfather, the way he went down a path that just got to be, I don't know, you saw the comparison between each of their ideals and how they're going to solve the problems. And I thought that on one end, you had a way too idealistic view in the grandson. And then in the grandfather, he had way too much of a warmonger. And it just seemed like they were trying to show a contrast, but it got to be almost over the top. Yes, the middle arc did it quite interestingly with kind of um, Flip the Father being militaristic and utilitarian, kind of, we've got to do this for the greater good, the ends justify the means, and there was that kind of tension of, is this actually going to work? Then by the third arc, it looked like that had kind of turned into typical super robot professor eccentricity, and it's kind of, I've built a super robot in my barn to fight these aliens because I've got a grudge against them. And I thought that could have been quite cool, kind of crazy grandfather, idealistic son, they mellow each other out a bit and go off and kick some alien butt. Yeah, but then when you get to the grandson, his... You know, we can have war without death mentality. It was almost a state, a political, modern political statement rather than being applicable to the Gundam franchise. That's actually uh, something I've been meaning to write about for ages, kind of this weird idealism in the Gundam franchise as a whole towards the idea that drone weapons are war without killing and that you can kill a disabled without killing as a matter of course in warfare. It's kind of a very glorified view of kind of precision warfare of the future and I think it kind of falls down because in the modern age uh, you look back at kind of Charles Counterattack or the original series and it's fetishization of UAVs in war in a world of predator drones now and it just doesn't gel right I think yeah so as a whole though I think Gundam Age appealed to this in the beginning appealed to a wide range of fans that were not Gundam fans I think for the exact same reasons you said. And as the show went on, I definitely saw that a lot of those fans dropped away, especially by the Third Age, major arc. Yeah, because a lot of the Third Age was kind of, we've got to get all these Gundam references in, like they go to a base in North South America that's clearly based on Jaburo from the original series. They fight three guys that have a nice formation attack, much like the Black Tri-Stars in the original series. They have a few women turn up and uh, betray the protagonists and then have tragic heroic deaths and much like former Asami from Zeta Gundam for example and it just felt like we've got to ram all these references home just to remind us all it's a Gundam series. Yeah, it, it, I guess for me it was a little disappointing because I'd, I'd come to finally respect that this show was trying to blaze that new path and then in the end it just it reverted back to its old self which I think we've said a number of times just in the last 10 minutes we've talked. Yeah. Now, the most interesting actual diversion it did was in the first arc, the um, arc of episodes on the Fardain colony that everybody I know absolutely hated. They said it was the worst arc of the whole series, but I liked it. It came on at about the same time as Gundam Unicorn episode 4 or 5 aired, and that was very much a straight love letter to all the wacky designs, all the kind of remnants of remnants of old villains coming back from the grave to have a last kick at the heroes. And then you had Gundam Age showing this arc with two factions that were clearly based on the Federation and Xeon uh, that had been fighting for so long they'd forgotten why they were fighting. It had just become a sort of game for them. They were just two mafia families slugging it out in the city and pissing everybody off by doing it. But because the imagery was so based on the Universal Century stuff, and it came out at the same time as Unicorn, which I maintain is just a lazy cash-in on the Universal Century, that's quite an unpopular opinion, um, it felt really apposite and timely, and people didn't like it for some reason because it was badly paced, mostly, I think. But the idea was good. Yeah, so then, you know, in closing up this Gundam conversation, we move into a different a series that was almost anti-Mecha, opposite of Gundam and Aquarian Evol. Yes, it's, uh, it's this over-the-top over mecha series. 
lots of people were sceptical about Evol when it came out because the original Aquarium, being frank, is not very good. It's got some absolutely inspired episodes that everybody remembers as being really funny. But there are about four or five episodes in a 26-episode series that mostly is bad CGI and characters that go nowhere. And it was ridiculous, but it wasn't an enjoyable ridiculous at times. You're right, there's four or five that are really fun to watch, but the rest is just, it's goofy. It's, it's kids' cartoon-grade goofy. And then Evol took... Oh, I personally think it took what those really memorable episodes of the original had, and it made a whole series out of them. It took what people liked about the silly characters, about the silly mechs, and the innuendos, and all the sex jokes, and it just made a whole series out of it. Oh yeah, the whole the whole gatai. It, it it embodied everything that was silly. That should be all the silly references and stuff about Gundam franchises and other mecha franchises, and ran with it. It wanted to be over the top in every. I'll say every week. We know it's not every week, but it would, it would consistently try to be over the top and just find a new goofy way to do things. I mean, you had the whole the whole holes reference by Andy throughout the entire show that just makes I you laugh hand, from beginning to end. I have to hand it to the fan subbers for actually translating a lot of the puns in ways that made good puns in English. That was an achievement. Oh, yeah. And there are many series that, for us, that are in the English-speaking world, that if it wasn't for these good translators would not be probably not be as funny. We could go into some other translations this fall that were definitely better because the the fan translation did a great job but evol just week after week just was consistently good because it knew what it was and tried to make the best it could of that and because of that when you got to the very end arc when the villains kind of actually their plan started working it, you actually really hated them for it when mikage did all his mind control thing and all the likable characters are suddenly acting evil turning into men you actually really kind of thought this is a nasty villain because he was undoing all the fun you'd been having. Definitely. It's, it's the way you should think of a villain. You shouldn't be just kind of ho-hum, he's a villain. You should actually want to despise this villain. So yeah, when one of the major female characters does change into a male, you're like, holy cow, you know, and the whole battle to get her slash him back, it's just, it's funny. It, so on one hand, you've got a show that, that in Gundam that goes down this political route and ends up falling back into its old ways to where Aquarion knew what it did well the first time and decided to exploit and expand on that. And there were, I saw plenty of people enjoy Evol, not because it was a mecha show, but because of the puns and the over-the-top and just the enjoyable time it was to watch. But what I really liked about it was how in the penultimate episode it retconned the entire first series, as if Karen Mori was just saying, the first series wasn't actually that good. So here we go, the characters are out and saying, it never happened, it was not what you thought happened, it was all a big prank. Yeah, there was a little bit of reference back to the original series, but just enough so that you could tie the two together, but it definitely built its own legacy, its own story, independent of the first series. Which I think is the only way you can do a kind of generational story with the distance between generations that Evol had. I mean, age was kind of grandfather, father, son. Evol was 12,000 year gaps. Expanding on those gaps, you're able to, uh, to refresh where in age you just can't. So then as we moved from winter to spring and into summer, we were blessed to have a new, at the time we thought, a new Eureka show, an Eureka Astral Ocean. Yes, that was a slight disappointment, I think. Had some potential. I looked. I remember looking at the original designs and thinking, "This is amazing. They've got like a girl that looks like an enemy's daughter and a guy that looks like Eureka's son. This is probably going to be a great sequel." And then, yes. And then, yeah. By the end, I mean, the series starts out really well. Those first four episodes leave you leaving you wanting more. But as the series went on, it just seemed like they would add more mystery, more mystery. You wouldn't necessarily solve the previous one. 
and it seemed to just kind of spiral out of control. We get this long break for the Olympics, which didn't help any. Not at all. I mean, I'm sure lots of people forgot what had happened because it, the show didn't explain much. It actually reminded me a lot of Brain Powered, which I'm watching at the moment, which is a series that was originally 52 episodes cut to 26, and it feels like they made the cuts completely at random. And unfortunately, Astral Ocean feels a bit the same. Yeah, I think with, with a longer run, heck, even maybe even 38 episodes, you know, give it three different seasons to run, it probably could have expanded better, filled in some of the gaps, and let, and given you much the same feeling the original series did. But at times, it felt rushed. It felt like they were forgetting about things that they had brought up. Um, I mean, the, first, the first episodes, as you said, of Astral Ocean were really good because they had that very laid-back, slightly sinister, but... Um, mysterious world building that the original Eureka 7 had which I'm actually re-watching at the moment for an ongoing series um, article series but one thing I really like about Eureka 7 is it builds up that this is not a nice world Renton thinks it's all lovely that he'll be able to just go around kind of getting high and skateboarding with all his mates but then he realises no there's actually some really nasty stuff politically going down that he's got into and he needs to do something about it and Astral Ocean had the same sort of with this weird hatred of the Coles, with this weird hatred of people like Eureka or related to her, and this very insular island community. If it had kept with that, and even kind of with the hints of the gecko state that came in in one episode and were never followed up on, it could have been really good. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. There was that band. It was almost the, it was like the hint that we'd see something reminiscent of the gecko state, and it never came to be. For me, when uh, Eureka really failed when they started to introduce time travel as a plot device. I, I, mean, I absolutely I hate... Like to say time travel can't work. I mean, it can work very well, but it didn't in this case. <laughs> no, I mean, it takes a lot of effort to time travel plot and tie in, make sure all the loose ends are tied together. Because if you if you don't, you just end up with this convoluted mess. I think we can point to uh, a pocket full of rainbows, or good night, sleep tight, young lovers, as it's called in some regions, as an example of how you can't do an alternative universe or sort of time tiny whiny plot. Yeah, and with... Uh, I actually never saw a pocket full of rainbows. I saw about first 15 minutes of it. I went, you know what? I don't want to ruin my impression of the original series by watching this, so I dropped it. I think I still have it on my hard drive. I just never finished it. And there's a reason why alternative universe, time travel, you just it's hard to just kind of step on the old canon. Although yeah. what I will say is for kind of reimagining the work, nothing, not even Astral Ocean or Pocket Full of Rainbows is quite as bad as the Cybuster anime, which is an alternate universe adaptation of something that gets everything wrong, and if it wasn't for the fact people had the same names, you wouldn't even know it was a retailing. Yeah. So as we move into the, from, from summer to fall, we end up with a new mecha series in Love Love. Now this is probably the show that even, even the casual fan chose not to even give a chance, even for a mecha shot. The first few episodes were definitely a bit off-putting. Yes, the first few episodes were unfortunately off-putting and not what the show continued to be. I will confess here that I ended up dropping Love Love after about halfway through, simply because it had gone so far from anything resembling a good series I couldn't face watching it anymore. It um, had a great premise. I didn't know anything about the visual novels. I still don't know very much about the visual novels, except they seem to involve an awful lot of playing sports with a with the class rep. But when I started watching Total Eclipse, I saw a Cold War alien invasion story where you still had the political bullshit of Soviets versus Americans versus Japanese and everybody being nationalist and idiots. And there was an alien invasion and nobody seemed to care because they had personal pride to worry about. And that seemed really exciting. Then you had a first battle where 
all of the untrained rookie pilots rush in and all kind of Gundam hero and going to save the day in my giant robot and get blown up because they're outnumbered about 100 to 1. That seemed good. It seemed like this is going to be a series where ace pilots are rubbish. There's going to be actual squad tactics. It will be sort of like Armored Trooper Votons, but without the weird mystical stuff. And then it wasn't. It really wasn't, and it just ended up falling into all the cliches of really bad military fiction, like all the creepy mechanic guys that had to rape the female pilot. Aren't we edgy? And that was where I gave up with it, really. It just went too far into basic war movie cliche. Yeah, and there's a lot of xenophobic moments. The politics are goofy. It drops in some harem stuff. It just really... It's a mecha show that didn't know what it wanted to be in the end, and it, it fails miserably. I think the problem is, because it has this root in being a side story of a visual novel, and the visual novel is very much a harem thing, as I understand it, in that definitely for the first full third of it, you are playing school story. When you're doing a side story, if that's make it properly military, it just doesn't really work, because you've still got people knowing you've got those icky roots, or icky if you don't like visual novels. I don't know of any of the, uh, what I would consider the normal mecha people that that tend to go around the old WRL stomping grounds that really had anything positive to say about Muv Love. And for all the same reasons you gave, it just it just failed on a lot of different points. And for luckily for the rest of us, it's over for now. They've hinted at a, a second season at some point, but hopefully that will never come to be because it's really just not worth it. That's it. There was one episode, one mini-arc that was sort of picked up for a bit and dropped when all of a sudden the female lead, who had previously been quite interesting, suddenly started turning into a blushing waifu type. But it was that you had the protagonist, the protagonist was one of the rookie pilots, the sole survivor, who became an officer on account of being the only survivor from her unit, and had to suddenly face the fact that she had a command role now, and nobody really respected her because the only battle she'd been in, she'd lost. And that seemed really interesting. And a lot of the early episodes focused about her trying to beat out the typical mecha show protagonist traits from the new protagonist, who was a bold American guy that wanted to be the big mech pilot hero, ace pilot, kills millions on his own. And it was about trying to beat his arrogance out of him, and I liked that. And then it didn't work because it just turned into, oh, I'm cold and bitchy, but I love him, really. It is what it is. It's over now, and so we can uh, look forward to the coming year and what shows. Although... Speaking of the coming year, I haven't really seen anything pop up coming up. Uh, there's that thing that is supposedly a sci-fi thing about people on the floating island, but the staff, and that seems to be mostly people that worked on Strike Witches, so I'm not getting my hopes up. <laughs> That's true. There's not a lot of hopes up for that. So in looking back over these four shows, what would you say would be the, the show that executed the, the story, the visuals, the narrative in the best way? would probably have to be Aquarium for working on a level beyond just being a mech show. I don't so much like mech shows that are just punching robots. I actually get quite bored by the end of Gal Gadot. I started rewatching it recently and thought, I really don't see why this is good. It doesn't have the charm. It doesn't have the characters that you really care about, even compared to other things within its franchise, which is quite formulaic but good fun. I like stuff that's either very sci-fi and has the proper sci-fi roots that just happens to considering fighting suits as a weapon. Stuff like Votoms, Dugram, Galiant, which has the nice fantasy element going to it. Or I like stuff that has the robots almost secondary to it, like the original Eureka 7, Visions of Escaflan, that sort of thing. What I don't like is things really like Gundam Age that just don't try and innovate from the medium, don't do anything interesting with the idea of robots or the idea of space politics. 
And what I really hate also is just lazy fan service stuff, which is why Total Eclipse was dropped pretty sharpish. <laughs> so with Gundam Age, where do you think Gundam Age fits in with the rest of the Gundam universe? I That's really hard to say, actually, because at least parts of it are like nothing really that the franchise has done before. Uh, the bits of the third arc that are very super robot weapon of the week, crazy grandfather stuff, are really nice. The bits in the first arc that feel like, yeah, are, that feel like they're laughing at the Universal Century for being so petty and reheated, they're really nice. The uh, rest of it, though, really feels like it sits with Double Zero's second series or Seed or Seed Destiny in that it's reheating the things that people expect from a Gundam show without really going anywhere with them. Yeah, so do you feel that the Eureka AO series was a fitting sequel slash prequel, or do you feel that they could have done a better job in following up the original Eureka series? I think the original series ends in a way that you couldn't really follow it up in any way, except an alternate universe or some weird far in the future. There are still trap-offs, there are still weird things going on. Ultimately, I think Eureka 7 was a series that didn't need a sequel, and any returning to that universe should have been more side story-like. And there could have been some interesting stuff just about life in the original world it created. The world of Eureka 7 is interesting, it's very nicely realised. You didn't need to kind of go with time travel or alternate universes to tell an interesting story. And then there's Muv Love. It's another visual novel adaptation. Do you feel that making more visual novel adaptation mecha sh- uh, into, that are, include mecha into anime will be more successful, less successful, or end up just the same as Muv Love? Well, the only other one I actually know of is Demon Bane, I think, which apparently is really rubbish. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, I think possibly the Ixa OVAs were based on a visual novel or some kind of old dodgy game. Uh, and to be honest, none of those are particularly good. The thing about visual novels is I think even the, like, the key adaptations show the visual novel is all about choice. You pick which girl you want to go with. And a series has to tell one story, so you're going to annoy a lot of people by not picking their favourite. And ultimately, visual novels, especially the mecha ones, just feel like, let's rip something off really closely and then put in a load of innuendos and horror elements into it. So I'm not sure it will work for the mecha or sci-fi genres. If we're talking about visual type stuff, which show do you feel was the most visually appealing out of the four? Out of Gundam Age, Aquarion Eval, Eureka, and Love Love? Strangely, I'm actually going to say probably Eureka or Parts of Age, actually, because Parts of Age had that really lovely sort of 90s super robot look of the sort you get in J-Decker, Gear Fighter Dendo, although that was early 2000s, or something like Cyber Formula, it had that sort of big foreheads, big eyes, semi-chibi, everybody's kind of really wacky caricature I liked that. That went back almost to the uh, Yaz designs from the early UC series. I liked that. It was unique. It was going back to the 70s stars of Gundam, but modernising it in a way that drew from the 90s, 2000s. Then you had Eureka, which just had some nice, fantastically animated uh, mech fights, even if they were sort of weird Evangelion-style Monster of the Week geometric cube-type affairs. But it did them really beautifully. The opening animation sequences from Astral Ocean are brilliant, even if the rest of the series isn't. I'll have to agree. Eureka, for me, was my favourite visually. I mean, the scenery backdrops, the animated battle scenes... The well-designed... I mean, they put a lot of detail into all the Nirvash uh, variants they had in that show. So for me, visually, Eureka was just spot on. Regardless of the rest of the the series, the, the visuals were amazing. 
Definitely, yes. I mean, Aquarion had its moments, but at the same time it still had that weird sort of not-quite-there CGI that Macross Frontier suffered from a lot, in that the CGI is really nicely detailed, but it still doesn't fit perfectly with the cell animation. So if you were to rank these shows in, a, on a, on a, in order of what you enjoyed from best to least, how would you rank them? I'd say Aquarian Evolve, far and away the most enjoyable. For about half of it, I'd say Eureka AO was probably, would probably have been number two. Gundam Age, number three, because for a 48-episode series, there were mi- many more misses than hits. And Marvel of Total Eclipse, right down the bottom, being the only one I actually properly dropped. I would, I would be close to that same order. I would probably put Gundam over... Eureka, because I felt the last half of Eureka fell aside rather than having, I thought, yeah, out of a 26 episode series, that only 13 episodes were of any value. I thought Gundam had better than half in terms of shows that were on the positive rather than the negative side, and Love Love was far and away probably the worst of the four for me. Admittedly, I lost a lot of um, kind of good point, uh, good favor for Gundam Age when it did the uh, the hero goes to the enemy's colony, meets the cute dying girl, and all of a sudden has a massive epiphany of, hey, these guys aren't so bad after all. It felt far too rushed in at the end of the series. Quickly, we need to have a reason for the main character to have a crazy robot that cuts everybody else's arms off so they can't fight. It's one of the definite failings of the last age in Gundam Age. So, in terms of this year, amongst other years when Gundam shows are produced, how do you think this year fits in overall? Do you think it was a positive year for, for Mecha shows, a negative year, or just average? I think it's quite typical of what the genre is now, in which you're getting this sort of mix of things that have robots in but aren't really robot series. The odd blockbuster spectacle super robot show, I mean, this year it was Evol, in the past you had Gun Lagan as the big spectacle series. And then your franchise is getting re-aired and trying and failing perhaps sometimes to escape from their past. You had Gundam Age following Double Zero that both fell into a mire of Gundam cliché, much like the Cross Frontier. Eventually got too self-referential for its own good. And so I think what, what it's really showing is that now, as with anything really, you're getting more of the sequels, less of the let's try something new in the sci-fi genre, because ultimately I think there's less demand for sci-fi if it's not sci-fi that's character drama, like Moritzu Pirates was. I think we're getting it to a point, too, where sci-fi, not even so much character, it's the, that things are, this is going to sound really bad, but things are getting more moified. Where you, it's, it, if it's not about cute girls or, or things like that, you seem to be, there seems to be less interest in producing it. You could say that, but then again, this season has had Psychopaths from the New World, and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Admittedly, I'm not actually watching any of them, but I've been reading up on them, planning to watch when they're complete, probably. And they all, and Psychopaths especially seems very much a ghost in the shell, perhaps a kind of knockoff ghost in the shell, but it has that kind of adult cyberpunk edge. We could go into how Akane definitely, though, is not your typical sci-fi punk type character, but that's that's for a whole nother discussion. But yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That Sometimes things are given the creative go-ahead, where other times they're not. And Mecha, the Mecha shows in general don't seem to be getting, maybe, maybe just that specific genre is not getting the ability to deviate from the norm and try something new. I think, much like um, some of the Toku Setsu series have, it's skewing younger now. I mean, you had Gyrosetta start recently, which is skewed very much for the kind of um, toy-selling, card-selling, shonen anime age group, as opposed to perhaps the early teenage group that some of the Gundam series skewed for. Yeah, and I did watch a couple episodes of Gyrosetta and thought, 
gyrozetter. I thought it was it'd be great for my eight-year-old son, but I didn't think it was really age-appropriate for the older teenager up anime fan. Absolutely. I mean, that's not to say Super Robot Show's pitch for that age group can't work fantastically. I mean, recently I watched Brave Police J Decker, and that is quite young, and it's very plucky kids and all that. But at the same time, it's got a lot of charm. It's got it's one of those family shows that works on all age groups. It's got some quality puns and sort of quality visual jokes in it that are pretty universal. It's not just purely a, this is trying to sell stuff series. It's got that sort of charm that takes it beyond what it might be. Thank you, Ray, for joining me today. No problem, no problem. So you can find Ray at Ideas Without End. The address is? Ideaswithoutend.wordpress.com There's lots of great stuff there. He's got some good meta stuff in addition to, to reviewing anime shows and series. I would encourage you guys to go and give him a view. Thank you very much. All right. And this is Joe signing off for Anime Audio Log. Thanks, guys. <laughs>